Greetings, listeners, Domestic International and Extraterrestrial. I'm Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley. And this is The Cast Files. I'm a nerd who has somehow never seen The X Files. And I watched it when it originally aired. The Cast Files is a podcast where we watch and discuss every episode of the podcast. Nope, of the <laughs> X Files. Spoiler free. Today we are discussing season two, episode 12, Aubrey. Which it, really should have been named literally anything else. Well, you know, it's the name of the town that they're in for a bit. <laughs> yes, it is. So, why not? <laughs> for a bit. Should it rather be called Drake? Yep, or Maybe. BJ. Or B- <laughs> I like women called BJ. Oh, I'm always intrigued by a woman named BJ. <laughs> <laughs> You said to do voices more, so I'm going to start doing that one. Fantastic. Uh, BJ originally aired January 6, 1995. It was written by Sarah B. Charno and directed by Rob Bowman, the director of Airborne, the rock and roller blade movie. (laughs) Starring Shane McDermott and Seth Green. If we still had a Patreon. Young Jack Black. Yes. If we still had a Patreon, we would have to do it for that. <laughs> so IMDb says that a pregnant policewoman experiences visions that lead her to the remains of two FBI agents who went missing in the 1940s while on the trail of a serial killer that later got caught. The killings begin again, but the only suspect is now 44. <laughs> He's not 44. He's now 77. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you started off weird, so now apparently you just threw me directly into a weird Oh, that's great. Mood that's just too. supposed to be super weird. Okay, great. The cast includes Terry O'Quinn as Lieutenant Brian Tillman. He earned the nickname Mr. 1013 due to his appearances in multiple shows and movies affiliated with 1013 Productions, the company that produced The X-Files. Oh, I see. I do recognize him from a lot of things. I know he was in uh, Lost. Yes. Where he's he plays like a guy with one name. They refer to him by like just one name, like Hobbs or well, Shaw <laughs> or Rock. Or John Locke, Man in Black, because that's what he's credited as. Okay. Locke. That's it. Locke. They just okay. call him Locke. He was also in Young Guns. Ooh, yeah. He's uh he's the lawyer guy, Mick Sween. McSween, yeah. That's a good movie. I love that movie. He's also in The Rocketeer. Ah. I've seen that one. I haven't, but I've seen that picture before. That's all I know. I don't know anything else. That's good. It's going to be a short episode. (laughs) All right. We also have Deborah Strang as Detective BJ Morrow. She was in something called Eagle Eye, which features Shia LaBeouf. Yes. Shia LaBeouf stars in that movie, and it's about how the government spies on us. I remember this from an interview he did about when he was promoting this movie. He talked about how the FBI worked with them, and one of the guys, one of the FBI agents said, you know, we really do this, right? Ah! And he's like, what do you mean? And the dude pulled up some of Shia LaBeouf's voicemails and played them for him. And that's wild. That's fucked. And this movie is like early 2000s. Yeah. It's like way before we knew. It's before (sighs) Snowden and uh, them. No, and them folks. And them. Snowden and them uh, pointed out the fact that our government's been spying on us. Well, it came out in 2008. Yeah. Okay. Well, you said early 2000s, so I was thinking. That was a a stab in the dark. You know what? Good job. 
I actually didn't think anything was going to come out of that, but I saw that Shia LaBeouf was in it, and I love that song. Shia LaBeouf. Running for your life from Shia LaBeouf. He's brandishing a knife. It's Shia LaBeouf. Yes. <laughs> so good. I will watch it anytime it is suggested to me. Uh, she was also in, so this is Deborah Strang. She was also in The Spectacular Spider-Man. Oh. She was the voice of Mae Parker. The oh, Okay. Oh, that must be one of the cartoons. Yeah. I just pulled it up because everybody's talking about Spider-Man's right oh, now. Oh, that's right. The Amazing Spider-Man is the one with Andrew Garfield. No, yes. Not spectacular. She was also in Carnival, which I have to really? bring up every time that it's mentioned because I cannot believe you made me watch two seasons of that for that ending. It's such a good show. That ending? Still angry. <laughs> everybody should watch both seasons of Carnival. It's been four years, I think. Yeah. Still angry. Really, really good show. We should Ugh. watch it again. Maybe it'll be different this time. <laughs> Alternate ending. <laughs> really good show. Man, that ending. Really good show. I don't think they expected to get canceled after season two. No, I don't think so either. I think they were expecting to do a season three. <laughs> I would have watched it. I didn't like the ending, though. All right, on to Morgan Woodward as Harry Coakley. He was in Cool Hand Luke. Oh. Which is a movie I watched in psychology in high school. It's a really good movie, but I can't picture him. He played Boss Godfrey. Okay, one of the bosses. Yep. This was also his second to last credit. Oh, wow. The X-Files one, not Cool Hand Luke. Obviously. Just Unless he just did very little work. Just clarifying for anybody who hasn't seen it, it is an old movie. Yes. This is an old TV show. <laughs> Not nearly as old as the movie. Right. And then Joy Coghill as Linda Thibodeau. She was also in Stargate SG-1. Wow. Everybody was in Stargate SG-1. She played Sarush uh, and Selmek. Okay. She was also in a short called The Trout That Stole the Rainbow. Oh. Which... Is that why there's rainbow trouts? I don't know. I'm so curious. Huh. I just added it because what is that? <laughs> she was also in a movie that I would have rather watched than the last two episodes of The X-Files uh-huh. called Shivers. Okay. This Shivers is from 1975. Check out this picture right here. This lady in, in a bathtub. Okay. It's... <laughs> This synopsis, the residents of a suburban high-rise apartment building are being infected by a strain of parasites that turn them into mindless, sex-crazed fiends out to infect others by the slightest sexual contact. Oh, it's something else is similar to this. Oh, it's gender bender. Oh, I bet this is better. Sort of gender bender. Sort of an episode of Angel, too. Hmm, thanks for bringing that up. Hey, no problem. <laughs> All right, and before we get into everything that happens, although Aubrey was written by Carno, uh, Glenn Morgan and James Wong, who we are familiar with, provided additional contributions to the story. The story for the episode developed around the concept of a of fifty year old murders and the transfer of genetic memory. But she also expanded the premise to incorporate elements of another story idea that she had revolving around female serial killer. Oh. Which would have been cool, except that doesn't quite happen here. It kind of... She gets two people. You have to have three to be a serial killer. I think she so. She gets three, because she gets Coakley at the end. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But she's not her, kind of? But she is, but she's not. It's... Yeah. This is another one that's 
It's not as bad as the last one, but... Yeah, I mean, very few things are as bad as the last one. (laughs) So how did you like this episode? This one is like the inverse of Red Museum. Red Museum, I was like bored for the first half, and then the twist happens, and I'm like, oh, what? This is great! This one, like, I was really into it, and then the reveal happens, and I'm like, oh, this is dumb. (laughs) Uh, Well, we're back to Chris Carter saying good things about the productions. Well, great. He uh, was happy with the finished episode, later noting, I think it came out great, and that Rob Bowman came through for us and gave us an excellent job. (laughs) Gave us an excellent job? That's that is literally the quote. <laughs> All right. So we start out in police headquarters in Aubrey, Missouri. There's been a murder. A sister murder. Murder. But don't tell the press. Well, yeah, you can't tell the press about that. It's very important to not tell the press. Yes. And but you- what you can tell the press is what I was fixated on for the first part of these couple scenes is, what's his name? The What's the detective's name? Tillman? Tillman. Yeah. Tillman almost has Rupert Giles' green mug. Oh, you were. You were definitely taken with that. It is a Fire King Jadeite mug, although Tillman has the D handle where Rupert Giles has a C handle. Why do you know this? <laughs> because Rupert Giles' green mug is awesome. I would own one, except they're like 50 bucks because That's... they were made in like the 60s or 70s and haven't been made since then. Oh. But you can, you can find them on eBay for... 40, 50 bucks. Should have, should have done that for Christmas. Oh, if only I had gotten obsessed in front of you about Rupert Giles Green. Yep. Instead, you're just going to have to wait for your final Christmas present to arrive whenever. (laughs) Whenever it gets here. (laughs) The thing that I was taken with in this opening scene is that dog. The dog. So we're in the cop house, right? Cop house geography. And in this cop house geography, there's the big open bullpen, I guess is what they call it. Mm-hmm. All the guys have their desks and women, everybody, all of the people have their desks all out there. There's this shot where they're walking in to this hallway and you see a little carpet. It's just a tiny square of carpet next to somebody's desk. And on the carpet is a German shepherd chewing on something on the floor. And the guy at the desk is just watching the dog chew on whatever it is (laughs) it never comes back we never have any more dogs it caught my attention and i was like well tell me what's happening with the dog (laughs) that's great and where you were looking for the dog the rest of the episode i was looking for the green mug the rest of the episode that's right so we were really taken with this episode so we are in a town called aubrey in holt county missouri local detective betty june bj i don't think we ever no, they never said her full name. Somebody on Wikipedia decided her name was Betty June. Because I had a good riff while we were watching it. It was about so... why she goes by BJ. Well, hold on to it because I ask a question later. Okay. And you can, I'll set it up for you then. Oh, excellent. <laughs> I'll just delete all that so we can be surprised. Okay. So local detective BJ Morrow tells Lieutenant Brian Tillman that she has gotten pregnant from their affair. I just would like to note that everyone handles this. Great. <laughs> she, he's on the phone like, yeah, I'm busy. And she just writes on Gregnet in a, on a piece of paper and hands it to him. I thought that was brilliant because he blew her off last night. Yeah. He's blowing her off now. He's blowing her off constantly. And she's like, you know what? Here you go. It's pretty funny. It was great. It I was pretty it. great. 
He requests her to meet with him at a motel later. She says, a motel? And he says, it's a place we can talk. It is. You can talk at motels. Can you? You can. And at rest areas. Oh. At truck stops. Where else? At libraries. No, not libraries. Not libraries. <sighs> All right. Well, I've broken my streaks. So. You did. <laughs> uh, while she's waiting for him, BJ has a vision that leads her to a field where she digs up the skeletal remains of an FBI agent. Gregnancy makes you psychic. Yeah. Oh, I didn't tell you that that happened to me too. No. So it just lasts during the during the Greg Nancy. Yep. Okay. You give up all of your magical powers when you birth a human. <laughs> this whole scene, there were it was all X Files flashes and cuts and edits and everything. It was yeah fine. Yeah. It was fine. <laughs> so then we're in Washington D.C. because of course we have our dead body in the opening. So yep. now we have to get to the agents and then have the agents get to them. So the agents are in Washington, D.C., FBI headquarters, where they normally are. Mulder's looking at dental x-rays. Scully absolutely knows how to read dental x-rays. She yep. finds she does the this one and this one are the same. These are all the same things. She's a dentist now. She is. DDS. She is everything. She is. They discover that the body was Special Agent Sam Cheney. Mulder tells Scully of the case Cheney and Ledbetter were investigating. Ledbetter was Cheney's partner, and they both went missing. So Mulder's telling the story about the story, because that's what it is. He's telling the story <laughs> about the investigation, which involved, once again, the rapes and murders of three women with the word sister slashed across their chest. We, and, are, we are on a roll yes. with these episodes. This is, this is four weeks in a row. Where we are getting the, let's just call it bad sexual behavior. Yeah. But it's okay because they end this scene with Mulder slyly saying, yes. And also, I've always been intrigued by women named BJ. And then he smiles creepily and then wiggles his eyebrows. Yeah. Are there that many women named BJ to be intrigued by that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an answer for you. So they show up in Aubrey, they're at the crime scene, and we see the crime scene. Mulder is asking BJ questions about how she found the area. He's not really liking her answers because they don't make any sense. Tillman doesn't like her being questioned. He says things like, it sounds like you're more interested in finding out how she found this body than why it's here. Are you suspecting her? Well, I'm interested in both, actually. Right. And Mulder's asking questions, basically like, you psychic? Oh, seriously. You, so you, you gurgnap? So you saw this, you saw a dog in the middle of the night, in the middle of this field, 500 yards away from any lights. <laughs> I don't buy it. But here's the thing, though. So we actually get a scene of Mulder asking real questions. But what he doesn't ask is the obvious question. How can she work in a predominantly male environment and still go by the name BJ. <laughs> she also is known for eating bananas around the office. Slowly. Very slowly. By the, from the center, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> like corn on the cob. <laughs> what an awful work environment this has to be. <laughs> yeah. But this is where you told me why she went by BJ. Well, you know, my full name is Blowjob, so I thought BJ was better. It's awful. She should just legally change her name. <laughs> to Betty June. Yep. Or whatever. So now we're at the coroner's office in examining room C, in case you need to know. 
C-handle green mug. <laughs> That's what it stands for. Wow. It all comes back to that mug. Everything in this episode comes back to that mug. But not the dog. We never see it again. Dog took the mug and ran off. Yes. So we see a close-up of a bone fragment through a magnifying glass. The camera pulls back to reveal Scully examining the bones that are laid out on the table. She and Mulder are bantering a little bit about this. It's just the it's the remains that they pulled out of the field. And she says that she modemed over the files. Oh, yeah. And I'm obsessed with that phrase. <laughs> I modemed them over. What? <laughs> you did say that. And when you said it, I missed her saying it. And you said it. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> because right after that, she says, it's obvious BJ and Tillman are having an affair. And Mulder's like, huh? <laughs> what? Her women's intuition is yeah, off was, the charts in these two scenes. That was garbage. The women's intuition part was garbage, but I did love that she was like, oh, yeah, no. Of course she was out there because the motel was there. It's a great place to meet someone, especially not your wife, in a secluded area. Especially if your name's BJ. <laughs> and Mulder's like, huh? What? <laughs> She's like, yeah, okay. So she and Mulder continue doing some amazing computer stuff on the rib cages. They're, they're like scratching words into electronic rib cages and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. It's great. Words like sister. BJ comes in. She immediately leaves. She goes to the bathroom. Scully follows and calls her out on her pregnancy. Just also immediately. Hey, you grignant. <laughs> BJ tells her about the nausea and the nightmares. And saying, now I know why my mom only had one. Oh, actually, does BJ not know she's adopted? Oh. Oh, she's not, though. Her dad was. Okay, you're right, you're right. So no, she probably doesn't know she's adopted. (laughs) Okay, that makes sense. I confused myself with who was adopted later. So they have this conversation. Scully asks her what she's going to do. BJ says she doesn't know. It's fine. Scully leaves the bathroom before BJ goes back to Mulder and tells him immediately that she's pregnant. She kicks open the door and goes, guess who's pregnant? (laughs) She does. With Tillman's BB. (laughs) And Mulder's face in this scene is pretty great. He's just like, what? (laughs) He's just getting all the goss and he doesn't even know what to do with it. He hasn't, he can't process it fast enough. Hot goss overload. It's too much. BJ comes in shortly after Good on both of them for... Shutting up immediately. Yes, for not continuing the conversation. While Mulder and Scully are looking at the computer, BJ goes over and studies the skeleton. And she instinctively realizes that the cuts spell the word brother. Because it's obvious. Of course she's not going to carve sister on the guy. I thought that was obvious too. It's incredibly obvious. It's the most obvious. Okay, well, everyone goes back to the computer... And we get everybody. We get Mulder, we get Scully, we get BJ. Tillman even comes in. Tillman comes in with his attitude and all pissed off about pictures. What are you doing here, BJ? I'm helping with this investigation that I stumbled into. Right. You know, the body that I found. My job. This one. Yeah, Tillman's character is, I don't know who he thinks he is. Her dad. Ew. (laughs) Tillman's all pissed about the photos because there's a file folder open on one of the desks and it shows the chest of a woman with sister carved into it. And that was what we heard about in the beginning. And it was supposed to be a secret because no one was supposed to tell the press. 
and he thought that they stole the folder. Yeah, they do it so fast in the beginning of the episode that I didn't catch it mm. until he gets mad here and brings up the fact that it's from his murder. Yeah, they do. You're, that is a good point. They do breeze over it real quick. It's just a one line yeah. tying it all together. I think it's, yeah, tying it together but doing it real quick so that people like me would forget that it's... Yeah, it's pretty good. So uh, it turns out that this murder that the photos are from are from the 1940s. And the murder that Tillman is investigating is from the Nows. And as they're talking and explaining that, look, just look at the folder. It says 1942 on it. A guy comes in and says, there's been another murder. This turns out that the dreams that BJ was saying she's having, when they go find the, the latest murder, it turns out that the murder victim is the woman from BJ's dream. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, there's a lot of connections happening right there. So then we go to Lincoln Park. Where Not the one that the band's named after, though. They aren't from Missouri? No, they are from Illinois. Illinois? And not Lincoln Park from the first season of Serial. I don't know what that is. You didn't listen to Serial? I did not listen to Serial. I was not listening to podcasts at that time. You are the only person in the entire world who's not listened to the first season of Serial. I'm also the only person in the entire world that's never seen Titanic. Oh, yeah. So, good job me. No, the first season of Serial was good. Well, I'm just super special, though. Oh, I see. I see. Sorry. Sorry to question you about that. All right, they're in Lincoln Park in Missouri. It's the agents and BJ. BJ's telling them about her dreams. She's also telling them that she just wanted to be a good cop like her papa. Whatever. Um, She tells them that the woman from the murder scene is the same woman from her dreams, plus there's a man in her dreams with a rash on his face, and there's a monument that she keeps seeing. The monument she sketches out, and Mulder recognizes it as the Trilon and Perisphere from the 1939 New York World's Fair. He actually recognizes it from postcards in New York City, not actually, not, yeah. he doesn't connect it all the way. But then I looked up a picture of this Trilon in Perisphere, and it doesn't look anything like the sketch that she made. So good job, I guess, connecting those. Oh, really? Because the picture that they show looks a lot like that sketch. Yeah, I guess the one that, well, the one that I looked at was probably a model, oh. and it was a different angle, but the sphere was so much smaller than the Trilon. Okay. Anyway. He knows what it is because he's Mulder. Oh, of course he knows because he's got the inability to forget things. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> but I forgot it long enough that you got, you got it for me. So next scene, um, somewhere in the Aubrey police station, we see BJ looking through a folder. Not a folder. It's a book with pictures. Uh, mugshots. Book full of mugshots. Yes. From the 1940s. She's looking for a picture of the guy from her dreams. Brian isn't impressed. What are you doing down here? These are from the 40s. He's not helpful and he hasn't done any police work. But she does find him, the man from her dreams, who isn't Brian. After Brian says, no, that baby's not just your decision. It's my decision too. Yes, because somewhere between the bathroom scene with Scully and BJ not knowing what she wants to do with about the pregnancy and this scene in the basement... They've had a discussion about aborting the <laughs> right. embryo because we have to assume she's just found out. Within the last couple of weeks or so. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like, it's not a fetus or anything. 
But so at some point they decided what to do with this pregnancy. And she says she's having second thoughts. And he's like, no. Ha 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 ha. Just like that. And I was like, I don't think it's up to you, man. So. He disagrees. Well, doesn't matter. And then later she changes her mind. And it's, that's a whole different kind of discussion. Yeah. But we'll get there. All right. So she finds him. The guy from her dreams is Harry Coakley. Then we get the agents. Uh, I guess she has told the agents. We get a lot of discussions happening off screen. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. The agents decide to go out and see Coakley. Scully is reading a report to Mulder. Mulder's driving. She's reading about it. Coakley was arrested in 1945 for raping a woman named Linda Thibodeau and slashing sister on her chest. Scully believes that BJ unconsciously recalled the case since her father was a cop and may have discussed it. Which actually, the way that Scully describes it in the scene makes sense. Yeah, it's perfectly reasonable. Yes. It's far more reasonable than what actually happens. Yes. But I like how they point out the fact that this guy who got caught raping and trying to murder someone and carving sister in her chest, two hours, one hour away... And nobody said, oh, he probably killed these other people, too. Yeah, they never connected it. Well, the agents are visiting the now elderly Coakley. He is 77. He lives alone after being released from prison in 1993, which seems like a really long time ago, but in this universe was last year. (laughs) (laughs) And Coakley insists that he was at home when the latest murder occurred because he's on oxygen. He's not doing great. He's in bad shape. Yeah. And I don't care. Me neither. But that's that's the situation. So while they're there, they have a discussion. Scully and Mulder are talking to Coakley about some stuff. And the only thing that I can even bother to recall about this whole situation, because it was so unsettling for me, was he kept calling Scully little sister. Yeah. It was real creepy. It was so creepy. Do you have anything to add about this? Not really. I There's a move I've always wanted to see in a movie or TV that I've never seen. And it's where somebody's acting like an ass, like him, and he's sitting down. And the person just, I would have loved to see Scully do this. Just walk up, and you know how sometimes you like put your foot up on something to like talk or whatever? Yeah. Put, put her foot up right on his balls, and then lean in, and just... And then say something, you know, (laughs) funny or clever. I've always wanted to see that move. That'd be interesting. But I've never seen it done in anything. Well, I hope hope Scully gets the chance to do it in the next 11 seasons. Me too. I hope somebody does it to somebody. I want it to be Scully at this point. That'd that'd be fine with me. I don't want it to be Mulder. I've just always wanted to see that. And I've never seen it. And then I've decided, oh, I should make a movie or a TV show so I can just do that. And that's just, that's a short movie. You just want to make a short movie about balls? About somebody getting their balls stepped on because they're a dickhead. There are short movies about people getting their balls stepped on. Not in the same <laughs> sort of thing. That, those are the types of things that Mulder keeps in his desk drawer. Yes. <laughs> All right. So elsewhere and at night, BJ awakens from a nightmare. She's covered in blood. She finds the word sister slashed into her chest, and it doesn't hurt even a little bit. (laughs) And when she looks at it, it's fully healed. It's It's a scar. Scarred, yeah. But she does sleep with her gun right next to her. Yes. She is the anti-Scully. Yes. (laughs) She was ready. She knew exactly where her gun was, 
and it was right there. She was ready to go as soon as she woke up. Yeah, it was, I knew, it was impressive compared to how we've seen the agents handle their weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so she sees a young Coakley reflected in the mirror behind her while she's looking at herself in the bathroom mirror and all the blood and everything. She leaves her house and heads to a stranger's basement. She's in the basement tearing the floorboards out and the woman who lives there is like, I don't know, she came over, she looked like she needed help, and now she's now she's in my basement, digging in my basement. <laughs> so, that poor woman. But she says this to the agents because she had called the cops, whatever. Everybody shows up. As BJ reveals a skeleton in the basement, and it is the remains of Agent Ledbetter, who had also disappeared with the other agent. So now this is the second agent she's unearthed. Seems pretty traumatic. Coakley is arrested because BJ says that Coakley was the one who caused her to be all bloody. Even though he was 50 years younger. Yes, and she does say that. It was the younger one. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why you pick him up. I don't either, but they do. He denies attacking BJ, insisting he's too old to even leave his residence without his large oxygen tank. Which is probably true. Yep. Scully tells Mulder that the blood on the latest victim matches Coakley's, which is interesting. It's a match due to certain markers. But it was very close. It wasn't like 100%, but it was something close. And then later that comes up and Mulder's like, well, maybe. Yeah. They're just related. science. Yeah. So then the agents go visit Thibodeau, who they should just be leaving alone. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why they go to see her. There's no, no, there's no reason. They ask her to relive the most horrifying moment in her life and she tells of Copley attacking her in that house on right that over, stairwell right over there on that landing it's awful uh she still has scars i don't know that we see them yet we do yeah, she, she has some on her face okay oh that's right she has scars on her face and Mulder notices a photo of her at the 1939 world's fair so that's bringing in the drawings from earlier because that's a transference memory too yeah. her? Well, or Coakley. If she's, you know, quote, turning into Coakley. Yeah, I don't know. Because he was there, too. At the World's Fair? No, at that staircase. Oh, at the staircase. I saw see. the picture. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> when pressed, um, because Mulder does press, Thibodeau reveals that the rape resulted in a child that she put up for adoption. Great. She has the adoption agency's name on a scrap of paper hidden behind a photograph in the room they're standing in. I mean, where would you keep it? I don't know, man. If I put it in a... I've moved too many times, so (laughs) I would lose it if I did that. Well, that's why you keep it safe in a painting. I see. You're right. You know what? I'm going to start doing that. It's a great idea. Hiding all of the orphanage paperwork in. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what it's called. Adoption agency. Jeez, how about my outdated terminology right now? Okay, so whatever, they have the adoption agency, which miraculously 50 years later is still a thing. A thing, and they can track down records. There wasn't, I don't know, a flood or a fire. (laughs) Or, and going out of business. Right. The FBI tracks down the child, who turns out to have been BJ's father, causing Mulder to surmise that BJ is the killer and may be operating on genetic memories, which tend to skip a generation. Sure. Uh Huh? It, no. It's 
What a large leap in logic. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. It's absurd. It's and, absolutely absurd. And not only is she suddenly coming into these genetic traits, she's also turning into Coakley. Right. Yeah. And it skips a generation, oh, so... Yeah. So I guess I've turned into my grandfather. Yep. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, ooh, depends on which grandfather. Right. <laughs> I mean... Not a good situation either, but one of them's definitely a worse situation than the other. Well, this is terrifying for me. As the agents are on their way to intercept BJ, BJ attacks Thibodeau, but stops when she sees the sister scars on her chest. So they compare scars. Yeah, they bond. Yeah, it was awful because BJ attacks Thibodeau on the stairwell where she was attacked, Uh raped, and almost murdered 50 years ago. It's great. It's good. Good job all around, X-Files. I wish she would have shot BJ. She had the gun on her. Yeah. So I'm afraid. I know how to use this and I'm not afraid. You let, you let me down. The you, X-Files you were right there. is not afraid to rape a bunch of women a bunch of episodes in a row, but they will not shoot a pregnant woman. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't even put that together. The agents find Thibodeau after BJ is left and then head to Coakley's believing that it's he's the next target and loosely because of something scully she's... says it's tillman and Mulder says it's thibodeau for no or for coakley for no real reason yeah it's his fault so he's got to pay right whatever so and uh, we all know that Mulder's wild theory is going to be the correct one right right bj has already arrived at coakley's she has cut Coakley's respirator tubes and attacks him with a razor. And actually, it's a pretty solid... What is the consequence? Plan? No, it's it's pretty... It's it's not karma. Karma sounds too stupid. But it's, it's pretty great that it's coming back to Coakley, what he was doing to other people. Oh, it's is, good that he's getting victimized? It's now happening to him. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm not sad about it, but I don't know if I'd say yay it either well that's why we're different people i just want him to get his ball stepped on (laughs) (laughs) we are different people you're your grandfather (laughs) and i'm pretty happy that this eye for an eye situation's happening apparently (laughs) well i can't i decided i can't be turning into my grandfather because i'm not greg nant Oh, that's true. You are not Greg Nant. <sighs> well, maybe someday. <laughs> As Mulder is looking for them at the house, he's attacked by BJ. This is a scene that was added during the script revision shortly before shooting, and I'm happy that they added it because she slams a fire extinguisher into his head. Yeah. <laughs> Just knocks him silly. It's pretty great. It's a it's an attack. And nothing really i mean violence is happening in this whole thing but it's the most violent immediate situation in this whole scene that we see it's the most violent thing that we see yeah uh she threatens to cut Mulder's throat with the razor and i write down Mulder, get your hands up right (laughs) right where are his hands he's sitting on them (laughs) and scully and tillman compel her to stop BJ finally surrenders after Coakley dies. Well, in the middle of the standoff, when she's got the razor to 
Mulder's throat and everybody's got their guns drawn. Scully calls time out to go check Coakley's <laughs> pulse. Yes. <laughs> it's a weird situation. He do- He's in the corner and he goes... <gasps> and then she goes over. She's like, oh, time out. She holds her hand up in a T. Like, with her gun. She's pointing her gun. Her, pointing her gun at her palm. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and then we get the final voiceover because that is what we're doing these days. Yeah, this is a few in a row. Yeah. I won't read the whole thing, but what happens here is that we see BJ has been placed in a female psychiatric ward where she's been put on suicide watch after attempting to self-abort. Well, who are you shipping? Oh, oh, uh, hell. Uh, Shipping hell and Coakley? Hell and all of us. (laughs) (laughs) Since we're all there, we might as well have a good relationship. (laughs) Great. What a nice community bonding scenario you've created. Who are you shipping? I guess Coakley and that ball squishing porn. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. <laughs> How are you surviving? I'm surviving by getting my hands up. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Jeez, get your hands up. Also, the only uh, the only men murdered in this, minus Coakley at the very end, mm. were the agents. Yeah. So the brothers. Right. So <laughs> I. How are you surviving? Man, I don't. I'm staying away from Coakley. Okay. That's what I'm doing. Both of them. Yep. He's too busy with his new career. Wonderful. Yep. All right. You got anything else? Uh, no. No, I'm good. How did you think Strang did with this performance? That was BJ. Oh, actually, yeah. I meant to mention that. She does a really good job, like, changing her voice. Mm-hmm. When she's, you know, quote, turning into Coakley. I had to catch that the second time around, because the first time around I was just really annoyed by it. <laughs> but she does a good job changing her mannerisms and changing her voice. Yes. The actor did a very good job with the role. Yes. And she apparently was submitted for an Emmy nomination for that performance. Oh, that makes sense. She was nominated. Not She did not win. But as we all know, it is an honor just just to be be nominated. nominated. Who won? Why do you ask me the questions (laughs) that I don't look up? Follow-up questions? Why do I ask follow-up questions? Because I'm a good journalist. That's why. Yes. Good journalist always asks follow-up. I agree, but my goodness, I didn't know how many professions do you have at this point, sir? (laughs) Dozens. Well, let's see. Less than 34. Yep. Less than 35. Because I don't think I've gotten a new profession every single episode. I think that's a good point. All right. Okay. The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. Edited by Dave Reed. You can find us on Twitter at CastFiles. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. You can email us at TheCastFiles. That's the with two E's at gmail.com. If you could please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars and tell us that we are doing phenomenal things. Artistic, wonderful things. We are raising the bar on podcasting. We would love you forever for that. We have a Tee Public store. You can go buy t-shirts and stuff there. Music by Hal Six. Logo by Art. That's O-O-K-A-R-T. 